Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, hello, a thousand welcomes to you all to The Ruck from The Times and The Sunday Times. Thank you all for downloading and listening. It's a bumper episode this week as we've got so much to discuss and two fine guests are joining us as well. Firstly, in the studio, we have the editor of Rugby World magazine, Sarah Mockford. Hello. Good morning. And on the line, down the line, is Stephen Jones, rugby correspondent of The Sunday Times. And Steve, we need to start with why you're down the line because you've had an absolute travel nightmare trying to get back from <laughs> Bayonne, Biarritz, Stansted, Gatwick. What's happened? Tell us. Well, basically it's this. First of all, if you want to spend the whole of the weekend in a waiting room, I would recommend EasyJet. Uh, they can guarantee you not going anywhere for hour after hour, not telling you anything. Uh, but the, the problem was that due to a road accident, I narrowly missed, uh, that was my fault. Well, not my fault, but it wasn't EasyJet's fault. Missed a flight from uh, Stansted out to Biarritz, direct flight right down into the heart of the Basque country. But uh, once we missed that, and also there were some England players' parents on it as well. It means that to everyone had to whiz at way over the speed limit to um, to uh, Gatwick, where I missed one flight, just about got on another. It was two hours late, and it basically that was the height of the. Uh, travel uh, plans um it got worse and worse and worse and worse right. i got a hire car which actually was going off in all directions without being me turning the wheel so that was ha- <laughs> that was handy as well so you didn't buy a self-driving car did you steve i think it was if i take my hands <laughs> off the wheel it might have got there it was uh, it was odd but it looked it, the, the best part of the weekend was when we finally got there uh, by all routes, and we saw um, a great game, England and uh, France and England at the Jean Dauguet Stadium in Bayonne, which was fantastic. And then later on, I had a beer and dinner with Sarah Mockford. So nothing, it, it was never a compensation. I didn't get back till the early hours on an even worse return journey, but there were compensations. So, yeah, both of you guys were at the finale of the Women's Six Nations where England won the Grand Slam. We'll get into it in more detail in a bit, but fun weekend Sarah? Yeah I'm definitely still feeling it today I think quite <laughs> tired my voice we've I've talked a lot this weekend um yeah so I still feel a bit croaky but yeah it was definitely good I mean it's I was re- realized when I was there it's 20 years since I've been to a women's six nations game in France wow. um the first one I actually covered for the Sunday Times when I did work okay, experience nice. welcome back. but um <laughs> yeah that atmosphere there they're, they're just even though um, it ended up being quite a straightforward win for England in the end. They, the crowd, were just so fervent and vibrant. They never stopped. There was 
they clearly got on the back of the referee when Holly Davidson walked off at the end. There were a lot of boos heading mm. in her direction. But just like the flag waving the whole atmosphere. I mean, it was just a shame, really, that they picked a ground. And I think the works had actually been delayed, but there was a whole empty stand. So all the record crowds we've seen in the Six Nations, it was actually like 7,000 short of the French record because they didn't have anybody in this end stand. It was about 11,000 in Yeah, I think it was 10-9 at the end. But, you know, they could have easily sold 20,000 for for that match, especially as it did go, as we expected, to a Grand Slam decider. So it's great that France have a great system where cities bid to host the event and they make a whole occasion of it. But, yeah, the planning for that one, I don't know whether it is because the works got delayed or just sort of miscommunication, but maybe they could have gone for a bigger venue. Yeah. So in those 20 years you've been watching women's rugby, and Steve, you've been watching it for a longer time than that, talk to us about the changes in how it's all improved and got better. I mean, we've had record crowds, as we were mentioning, this season. Um, What other sort of pertinent bits can you remember of the 2002 game you watched that is worlds apart from the 2022 one? I, I, I don't know whether I should admit this, but I told everyone at the weekend that actually in that 2002 one, another miscommunication, I ended up only arriving at half time for that match <laughs> because someone had given me the wrong kickoff. And that was, I suppose that's a clear thing of the time. Like now, we all know, I mean, hopefully this year we will find out the Women's Six Nations fixtures in June. They will be different from the men. This year we only found out like a few weeks before the tournament, which is really hard then for people to plan. But in 2002, you would be like scrabbling around for information like that, where they were being played, who was playing. Um, you wouldn't have found a live stream of it for Love Nor Money. I mean, live, did live streams exist probably in 2002? Not, no. Probably not. Dial-up internet. At that yeah. Point, probably, yeah. <laughs> Windows 95. <laughs> but I think that's one of the things, like there's been so much more cut through in this tournament, I think. Um, having that own separate window is just giving it its own momentum. I think there's still plenty that needs to happen, but it's just really great to see that so many po- pe- more people are engaging in it. I mean, it was a shame that it was at a smaller venue at the weekend because there were very few travelling England fans, I think, because it, it sold out about three or four weeks before it actually started. So, yeah, mm. it was just a bit tricky. Steve? There even... were probably a lot of travelling England fans, but they were all scattered around airports and, and bus stations. <laughs> <laughs> all the way, all the way from uh, Stansted to, uh, <laughs> to Bayonne. It's funny because... Um, Yes, they do. They do. Uh, the municipalities and the regions do bid for events, but uh, I just think it's a fantastic chance for uh, informally, maybe the the, the English clubs and, and municipalities and and whatnot, and and the mayors to, to bid for England England matches uh, next season and beyond. It, I mean, it, it, the crowd didn't sound very that that much, but my goodness, it sounded like about thirty thousand. And what was good was they just got so far behind the French team. You know, old blokes, young girls, everyone in between. It, it, it was almost a hysteria there. And, and, and you know, again, people are loving the women's game now. They are absolutely reveling in it. And another lesson for us is that uh, Bayonne, the Division, uh, Division Two French team, it just shows what can be done and no tier to Wales and England when you have a proper men's second division uh, and a proper championship because you've got a, a ground that was already been rebuilt, but it's a great ground for second division rugby and even for first division. So Not so much for was, um, seats views from the press box though, eh, Steve? <laughs> no, that wasn't so good, but um, I, I can see around corners now at this stage of my career. 
the, the um, it, it, look, it was it was a magnificent occasion. Never mind about the match. Uh, well, the, the, and the match was 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 good too. It was a magnificent occasion. It just shows what happens. And I have to say, very difficult not to shed a tear at the end when the England team had these wild celebrations because you know they they worked so hard. And now they got a grand slam, and they've got a grand slam. Eddie Jones, you haven't got a grand slam, mate. Um, Sarah, just to explain that point on the um, the seats, were you stuck in a, an odd corner or something? Oh, it was just like there, there, there were two press boxes either side of halfway, but in the middle of them was quite. It wasn't so much a pillar, but like a whole sort of part of the construction of the stand. Right. So if you were at the if you were near a halfway, it cut off like a third of the pitch. Okay, no Luckily. And Steve was very fortunate that he had a good friend who'd arrived early and we saved him a seat. But um, if you were ended up stuck on that end, you did ha- you couldn't see a third of the pitch. Whereas we, if we leaned forward, we could see the final corner. So, right. But yeah, it'd be interesting. We were speaking to some French journalists and I think Bayonne are going to get promoted to the top 14 and that press box might be something that needs to be improved before uh, they go back up. Yeah, well, whether you could see most of it or not, it was a great result and we'll get all into it in a second. But firstly, let's just run through what we're, what is coming up on the Ruck this week. Jess Hayden is going to join us with her roundup of the, all else in the women's game. Next, after that, we're going to speak to Alex Sanderson, who's going to join us to preview Sale's trip to Paris to play Racing 92 in the quarterfinals of the Champions Cup. Always fascinating to hear from him. And we'll touch upon the latest round of the fixtures in the Premiership with loads of records tumbling and then end with God, Goddess, maybe a Devil of the Week. But first, let's talk a little bit more about the Women's Six Nations and another Grand Slam for England. Right, guys, so as we've teed it off already, but an unbelievable result there for England. They've now beaten the French 10 times in a row. So it's a great rivalry, but they're ahead of it, aren't they? Does that give them... I mean, we're talking all about the Six Nations, aren't we, and the fact that they've won a Grand Slam, which is outstanding. But they're in the same pool, aren't they, for the World Cup? So do you think now, Sarah, that we've got to a position with the Red Roses where they've just got France in the top two inches? Yeah, I mean, I said before this tournament, I thought... France in front of a home crowd would beat England but then come the World Cup England would probably beat them in the pool and you'd expect they're going to meet again at some point in the knockout stages I mean at this juncture you'd probably say it should be an England-France final but because of the way the Women's World Cup works in that there's only three pools there's no you don't know that they could meet in the semis or the quarters whatever happens but yeah I mean it was a great occasion I wouldn't say it was the best match because France had loads of territory, loads of possession. They came out, scored a try within a few minutes, and you were like, wow, this is going to be a great contest. Halfway through the half, England scored three tries from a rolling mall, which their rolling mall is phenomenal. But France just didn't, couldn't convert any of their opportunities. Like There was a lot of errors, there was a lot of inaccuracies. So whereas England are probably one of the most ruthless rugby teams in the world... France just don't have that clinical edge. And I think it is now becoming a thing. Whereas a lot of other matches between them have been really tight. It's like a one-point game decided in the last minute. This one, you knew at half-time that uh, bar some amazing sort of comeback, England were going to win this, they were going to win the Grand Slam. I mean, you look at their stats. You mentioned the 10 um, straight victories. They've won 23 tests in a row, which is a... In, equals an England women's record from the 90s. It's the most any England 
team has won in a row, win one more. I think they draw level with that Cypress record. So mm. if and they the keep Black Ferns from the two thousands, early two thousands. Well, there's a lot of controversy about. Okay, well, tell us. people, if you just talk to World Rugby, two of the matches that in that run of twenty four weren't Test matches. They okay. were against a World Fifteen. That is one of the big problems in the women's game is that records. There's a lot of yeah. caveats because it's people. Um, what's the word, like record things in a different way, like whether it was a test or not. But sure, World yeah. Rugby don't recognise two of those matches as a test. So, they're so only they've already got the record then? Yeah. Or equaled their own? Or equaled their own record. If they win another one, they've broken it. And okay. if you think from now, they've got a couple of warm-up games, mm. then they go to the World Cup, you'd think, you know, they could get to 30. Yeah, amazing. So, Steve, just <laughs> put us in... Con- take, take issue with both my colleagues there. I think <laughs> this then. was the game. I think this was the game when France lost, uh, uh, regained that top two inches because I think it was the game which their planners and uh, and 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 the intelligentsia around the team will know that they can beat England. You have to remember that um, for for a start there was a and I've watched this this morning. There was an absolutely stone cold penalty try and yellow card to France to France in the first half which would have given them their second try, which which was absolutely deplorable that, that, that neither were, were awarded. Stone cold. And then you, we also have to remember in the second half, the most brilliant tackle of the tournament by Emily Scarrett mm. saved another seven points at the at the posts. Now, there's a lot of rough edges around this, this French team. As I said in the Sunday Times yesterday, what they need is one month with Sean Edwards to rough to smooth away the rough edges and to to get rid of the soft areas but i thought they looked a team that is on its way on its way tactically i thought they were brilliant they used their big second road uh, outside the fly half throughout the second half that worked too and, and and i think if they can come on and i mean it sean edwards for a month i think they they are very close indeed to england and closer than the score suggests. They got refereed off the park, and I think that um, France are on their way, and thank goodness, because the Six Nations needs two firing teams. Yeah. Just a quick note on Sean Edwards and his whereabouts. I I spotted him. Well, so did BT Sport, really, but he was down the road from me at London Irish at the Brentford Community Stadium, sitting and watching Wasps, because he's he's got a little flat, I think, in South London still, and... His son, James, is going for the Westminster Council elections. And so Sean Edwards will be knocking on people's doors around London. Are you going to vote for him? Imagine someone saying, oh, I think I'm going Tory, mate. That's not going to go down well, is it? (laughs) Sean, if he knocks on my door, he's got my vote every time. Yeah, absolutely. So just thinking about the, the slam in context then, Steve, having covered lots of them before in the women's game, where would you put this Red Roses team? We're mentioning there the records that are equaling... Um, are they the best English women's team you've ever seen? Not yet. Uh, the, the world champion team, don't forget, they, yeah. they had that extra bit which enabled them to be world champions. And um, the, the, the England display against Ireland, now Ireland were very, very good then, very good in the 2014 uh, World Cup, was, I would still say, is the greatest performance I've seen by England. They were just magnificent. And the difference in that team and this team. Now, I'm not saying, well, that anyone has to play in any particular style. If you can do it with three three mall over tries, mm. perfect. If you can do it with 10, perfect. You don't have to play any rugby. 
But where the, 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 the world champion team were much better than this team is in transiting from, from the forward play to the back play. Um, and, and I think Simon Middleton admitted that afterwards. They hadn't been able to get the freedom. Zoe Harrison is a very, very fine player, but not uh, on Saturday impressive in, in getting that transition done. So whereas the last team could get the ball wide to Emily's, a young Emily Scarrett, to uh, Danielle Waterman, etc. This team doesn't quite have that facility. And when they've done it in this tournament, it's usually been against very weak opposition. So they, they've got a, a road to travel. They're certainly bigger and fitter. They're certainly more athletic. But that was that is what comes with professional uh, rugby. So they've got a way to go. Uh, they're on their way, but not quite the greatest I've seen yet, no. Just a note then, possibly a Grand Slam built on their defence. I mean, they only conceded before the last game two tries, and then there were the 12 points in the last game, weren't there? So unbelievable defence, as you are saying, strong driving more, Sarah. Is it? They've got all the fundamentals. So if they were adding layers, would it be the attack, you think? Yeah, I think... I think we were talking about this at the weekend, actually, that this Six Nations, you could probably pick about a whole pack of locks that have really stood out across the six teams. But we were like, who's been a standout winger? Like, none of the teams have, like, no wingers had a great tournament. Whereas if you look a year ago, like a Caroline Bougeard was, she excelled for France. So I don't know whether it's just everyone's been focusing on trying to get their, like, set piece, um, that platform more in place. But England have got such talented players. I mean, Lydia Thompson made a brilliant break in the first half and you just, there'd been a little bit more link play there. That could have led to a try. But it it just didn't click into gear. They tried um, a switch move with Emily Scarrett that I think they used in the 2014 World Cup final where they scored a try against Canada. Didn't come off at all. Like, Laura Sansu's tackled her quite a few times there just to bring her down. So that you just didn't see the same creativity. That They've definitely got the players, but we just have didn't see that yet. That, there and I think that will be something they look to work on is just yeah they've got this great weapon if they get a penalty they kick to the five meter they maul it over but you need to have a bit more different ways to play to um, win a World Cup yeah so when we get to the World Cup that's coming in the autumn um, would you both say that it's still the Black Ferns despite the fact that England beat them well in last autumn who are the main challenges I mean they they look like they're pretty worried if they're bringing in Wayne Smith, Mike Cron, all those guys, don't they? That They don't want to have, be embarrassed in the home country of the World Cup, do they? They, they don't. And it's not a question of don't be embarrassed. They, you, You've got no... Anyone who's ever been to Zealand will know it's not embarrassment. They will be absolutely mortified. The whole country will be absolutely devastated if England, of all people, come down for the World Cup. Which is why they put together this 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 coaching team. Now, sounds great. Graham Henry, uh, Steve Hansen's daughter, mm. Wayne Smith, Mike Cron, the greatest scrummage coach. But I, I think um, um, Simon Milton made a good point. Uh, his good coaching team may not be as illustrious, but they are grooved in. They know every player inside and out and backwards. Uh, Graham Henry and all these guys don't know any of the players. Uh, they're all coming in as Galacticos, but how do they sort out their chain of command, etc.? Just because you bring in five great coaches, maybe the greatest of all time, doesn't mean there'll be a great coaching group. But what it does mean is that that, that, that all-black team will be out for vengeance at the, at the massive embarrassment just on, over their heads recently in, in, in England. 
And that will be, for me, one of the sporting confrontations of this year in any sport. But I also think that France will be dangerous too. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say that I'd say France at this juncture is still second favourites. I mean, Ali Donnelly wrote a great piece on Scrum Queen's website yesterday just saying that while England have been so dominant over the last year, it's actually forcing other teams to get better. They're realising they can't stick with these semi-pro or amateur setups. And it's no um, coincidence that New Zealand have had to bring in all those coaches because they're like, what are we going to do? We've got, to, we've got to really step up. How much they can make a difference in six months, whether they can close that gap. Because the real thing that's improved the women's game in England is the Premier 15s, which gives them such a high standard of rugby every week. Whereas New Zealand had that super rugby a peaky, I'm probably said that really badly, um, earlier in the, the year, which to be honest, sort of collapsed a bit because there were so many like COVID cancellations mm. or postponements. It didn't really work. But we've now seen like Italy are giving out contracts. Wales have obviously got the full-time contracts. Ireland is set to introduce contracts later in the year. And it's a really good point Ali made that hopefully this will be the last time we see a fully amateur team in the Six Nations because as much as we can applaud everything that England have achieved... How, how are you going to keep getting those record crowds if everyone turns up knowing that England are going to win by 50 points? You need a bit more unpredictability. You need some more competitiveness. If you're going to get um, more commercial investment, you're going to get crowds turning up every week. So that's the next challenge, I think, for women's yeah. rugby. Steve, we'll, we'll let you go. We'll just, sorry, just go. One more, sorry, sorry, well, just one more point about um, style of play and, and the World Cup, etc. Um, uh, England were, you know, as they would be, flat out to win a Grand Slam, and they revealed this very, very significant um, driving ball from which they scored all their three tries. Now we know that New Zealand, Australia, France, everybody else in the tournament, Fiji, uh, they will be devoting a huge chunk of their time between now and the World Cup in defending the driving ball because they've seen that it's England's major weapon. Everybody around the world knows it, so England will have to get better or get round that driving ball because everybody in the world now knows that it's coming. Yeah. Steve, we're going to let you go in a second because you've had a hell of a weekend, but in a, in a sec, I'll ask you your for your God or Goddess of the Week nomination so we can clip that up and use that. But, um, Sarah, we were talking off-air that the Allianz Premier 15s is coming back, so people who have enjoyed the Women's Six Nations can now tune into that can you just tell us a bit about what's coming with that yeah so it's um back again this weekend so there's only two rounds left so it's a bit weird they've had this like six week break to allow mm. the women's six nations to come back um but then it's yeah two rounds there's saracens have already guaranteed a home semi-final but there's five teams still in the mix for the other three semi-final places and i just think it's really exciting like this weekend you've got bristol hosting harlequins ashton gate both those teams will be desperate to finish in the top four but all, a lot of the teams that are in the mix there, so it's Bristol, Exeter, Harlequins, Wasps and Loughborough, they're all sort of playing each other over the next couple of weeks. So it should just be really exciting and people can watch um, some of those games on iPlayer and Premier15s.com and then the semis and the final will also be on BT. Perfect. So it should. it's just like continuing that momentum because, I mean, Mark Evans actually writes about this in the next issue of Rugby World that... Um, it's great to see all these crowds at international rugby, but you really need to translate that to club rugby as well. And that's a much harder sell. But if people want to go and see like a Sarah Byrne or an Emily Scarrett, you know, go down to the club, 
tickets are a lot cheaper than going to see men's matches and yeah it's trying to build that momentum across the sport not just at the top level yeah so well if you have enjoyed the women's six nations and you did watch it at bbc2 or you went to gloucester or you went to welford road to watch those games then go along to one of those in the next coming weeks too right steve it's it's god goddess devil of the week time have you planned where are you going anything yes, to do with the easy I, jet I have actually i have <laughs> my, my, my goddess of the week uh, there are many contenders i think that um Sarah Moxon's contribution to the French vintners industry on uh, on Saturday was was very good and deserves for boosting the national economy like that. <laughs> I think is a definite contender uh, with her with her colleagues. But I'm going to go for Alex Matthews. Um, I always rated Alex Matthews ever since I first saw her play. She had her ups and downs and been in and out of the team, had her injuries. But what was lovely was that she. Uh, she came on first for a 50th cap and uh, ran the length of the field to, her, to the place where, she, where the anthems were. The whole crowd sort of rose to her. I'm not sure if all the French knew who or what they were clapping, but it was really nice and she all waved back. But then once uh, she, she got those ceremonials out of the way, I thought she played demonically. I thought she played really, really well and gave them a, um, gave them a selection dilemma in the back row. So... Alex Matthews, 50 caps, well done, and goddess of the week. Okay, thanks very much to Steve. He's off to bed now after a long weekend. But next on The Ruck, we've got Jess Hayden, who's going to round up all the other bits and pieces that happened in the women's game, and a little bit, as we mentioned, on the Premier 15s. With the women's Six Nations concluded, eyes can now turn to the Rugby World Cup this October. Wales head coach Ewan Cunningham has mentioned plans to play Canada and England in the summer, with England also expected to play Canada for the second time this season. Wales lost 10-8 to Italy in the final round of the Six Nations thanks to a last-minute penalty from Italy. Despite winning just two out of their five matches, Wales have finished third, which is their highest position since 2009. Scotland are yet to confirm any summer matches, but having failed to win a match in the Six Nations and only just qualifying for the World Cup, head coach Brian Eason will likely be looking at how he can best prepare his side for the autumn ahead. In other news, the Allianz Premier 15s League returns this weekend with Exeter Chiefs, who won the Premier 15s Cup last month, facing Saracens at home. There are just two rounds of the regular season remaining and loads still to play for. The top four teams are currently Saracens, who've confirmed a home semi-final, Bristol Bears, Exeter Chiefs and Harlequins. So the results from last week are Wales 8, Italy 10, England 24, France 12 and finally Ireland 15, Scotland 14. Right, so sticking with international rugby but turning our attention to the men, just a little newsy note to cover off and we'll probably do a bit more detail on this in pods to come when the whole wash up of this saga has come through but Spain you might have seen were kicked out of the World Cup or at least unless they appeal the decision because of an ineligible player they fielded in two games against the Netherlands and there was allegations of a forged passport and all sorts of things there's a total and utter mess and our Spanish correspondent Alejandro Dimmock is going <laughs> to I'm going to start calling it. him that. Yeah, Sarah's <laughs> colleague at Rugby World. He'll be back on the ruck to talk us through it in a bit. But um, that was just an easy note to note off there. Um, but next, it's time to turn our attention towards the weekend's fixtures in the Gallagher Premiership and look ahead to the quarterfinal of the European Cup. 
Right, so let's turn our thoughts to the Gallagher Premiership. And it was a mad weekend in a mad season, really. The game I was at was the highest scoring draw in Premiership rugby history. 42 all between London Irish and Wasps. And also another record they broke, London Irish. It was their fifth draw of the season. It was absolutely mental. And there's all sorts of else that happened. Danny Kerr got his sixth yellow card to break Gareth Archer's record for sin binnings in a season. Chris Ashton broke the try-scoring record. Should we start with him? Unbelievable achievement to start with for him to get yeah. 93, 4 and 5 in the same game. I know, I wouldn't be surprised if he hits 100 before the season's ends because mm. Leicester are going to be in the playoffs. So, yeah. I mean, I just think everyone's. it's been a bit random with Chris, hasn't it? Because it's like he's moved around so many clubs since he came back from Toulon and it's like, oh, what's going on with him? But he seems to have found his groove with Steve. He loves the environment there. He's all about like improving and getting the best out of him, of himself and teammates. And I think... It's just sort of like that whole old Saracens connection, I suppose, he's got with Steve and with Richard Wigglesworth, who's a player coach there. And yeah, he just can't stop scoring. I mean, who knows how many he could score? Because he's not that old either. He could carry on for another year or two. No, I was looking. So for the subscribers to The Times and the Monday Mall, he's going to be our main topic of conversation and the stats behind his record-breaking stuff. And it's amazing looking back because he joined Northampton from Rugby League when they were in National 1. Broke a record there. And broke a record there, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, in National Division 1, um, when Northampton relegated, he scored 39 tries in 25 games it's in that phenomenal. season. Because he also broke the top 14 try-scoring yeah. record, didn't he, when he was at Toulon? So that was 24 in 23 games. And I've, I've got the list of all the records, because he's also got the Champions Cup record, 40 tries in that competition in 68 games. And across his entire career... He's played 335 games in Union, including test matches, and scored 233 tries. It's unbelievable. That is amazing. It's, I mean, I don't know. Is there anyone that would have a record that's better than that? I don't think so. So in terms of premiership, um, he's second in terms of ratio to Christian Wade, who, if he hadn't have gone to NFL, probably would have broken it himself because he ended on 82 from 130 matches and Ashton's on 95 from 163. So he's, Ashton's at 0.58 a game, so just more than one every other game. And um, Christian Wade's at 0.63, and they're the best two. And the other thing I was I was noting for our pod friends over at the, at the BBC who have Danny Kerr and Chris Ashton on their podcast, I was looking up how long Danny Kerr would have to play to break Ashton's record. Because <laughs> Kerr's not far behind. He's one of the only current players in the sort of top 10 list, along with Johnny May. And I think I worked out that Kerr would have to play until he was 38 and until 2025 if he kept scoring at the same rate he is at the moment because he's on 79 from 248 matches. I so. think he's the top-scoring fl- uh, scrum half, isn't he? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And uh, his point is always that he it's much harder to score loads of tries from scrum half than wing. Yeah. But there we go. He is, um, I mean, and I you wouldn't put it past him playing until he was 38. I mean, he still looks yeah. lively. I think that... I did a great cover tackle on Alex Mitchell in that yes. Northampton game. Yeah, that was a great game, wasn't it? And it's funny, two scrum halves who are kind of out of the England picture, Kerr at the older end and Mitchell at the younger end, but it feels like Mitchell has been in incredible form for the last few weeks. And that was another thing I was looking at. He's got the most try involvements of any player this season, 
So assists or tries himself. Is this the sort of stuff you talk about when you go out with your mates? Like <laughs> drop these stats in conversation. Yeah, this is a pub chat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he's had, what's he got? He's got 10 tries and 13 try assists. And second is Danny Kerr. Mm. 19. So it is interesting, Sarah. There you go. Yeah, okay. It's not just all boring. Should we so. also um, like tip a hat to Tom Youngs? Yeah, Led definitely. out Leicester at the weekend, now announced his retirement for rugby. So yeah. another Leicester, given that we just spent all that time talking about Chris Ashton, should yeah. probably mention Tom Youngs as well. So it's one of those where I think lots of us were aware that he was probably hanging up his boots. He hasn't played at all this season because he's been on compassionate leave because his wife Tiffany's been ill. Um but an incredible servant to Leicester, isn't he? And in probably the trickiest era possible for the Tigers, really, that he came at the back of when they were good into this era where they've been not very good at all. And they're only now just starting to come out of it, aren't they, with all that we've talked about with Steve Borthwick. But incredible servant. And the fact that he used to play sevens and at centre. Yeah, I mean, that's the other thing, amazing. isn't it? You just think about the positional switch he's gone through. is pretty, pretty yeah. crazy. So a tip of the hat to him. Um, but then also the other games, I mean, I feel like we need to just, if it doesn't always have to be a statistical note, but <laughs> oh my God, what the hell happened to Bath? 64-0 in a derby game. That is just, I mean, it's hard to say words like pathetic, but that is, in, that is pathetic. Yeah. You can't that you can't lose to your local rivals by that much. I think I've I was seeing a few sort of comments on social media that it wasn't the the loss that hurt fans so much. It was more that it seemed like it would there were there was the lack of fight mm. in the performance. So I think people can forgive a lot, but if it doesn't look like you're trying or mm. um it's yeah, it's just a who know there's surely gonna be some more changes there before the start <sighs> of next season. I mean I was talking on a Zoom call with Stuart Hooper earlier in the week and asked him about the previous result last week, which we talked about, where they were 19 points up at, at, to Northampton at home and ended up losing that game. And I said to him, look, does that point to a sort of wider problem or is it just technical things? And he said, look, we're trying to change a lot of different things over the season and stuff like that. But if you add that game to then losing 64-0, that is, that something is completely rotten there culturally there has to be you don't you don't back up a defeat like that where you're miles ahead and lose with then a capitulation to your most local and fiercest rivals I mean and we talked about on a statistical note they've been playing rugby matches since 1882 Gloucester and Bath and that is the biggest result ever in that fixture and the other one I put it out on Twitter for people to guess and a couple of people got it actually but the Bath have now 13 times this season they've conceded more than 40 points and they've done it once a month at least since October. I mean, I mean they must horrendous. just be thanking the Lord that there's no relegation this season. Yeah, well, I think that's another note. I mean, we've talked about a lot about this with the Ealing situation and all that throughout this season, but how unbelievable would that final game of the season be, if it, which is Worcester against Bath, if that was full-on relegation dogfight? It'd be incredible. Yeah, it would be a great game. It's so so tricky, isn't it? Because some people have said, "Oh, we've got our best Premiership season ever," because people have not got that risk of relegation hanging over them. But it would be just as exciting down the other end if that was happening this year as yeah. well. So, and the and I suppose the other note that was just slightly more tongue in cheek that we had Rob Baxter on the other week. We played in a chat with him when we were talking about Ealing, and he said he noted Bath is one of those teams that 
facilities probably aren't good enough, but they just play a fine and come back up every year at the wreck. And, I mean, if they did get relegated, they might not meet minimum standards. So that would be if they were to try and come back up again. God, I hadn't even thought about that. Because if because they're already like a sort to do changing rooms and shower heads. Yeah, and but because they're sort of a stuff. whatever the P shares and that sort of thing. Does that mean they don't yeah, have to meet the minimum yeah. standards? Well, everyone who has to come up into the league has to meet minimum standards. But it seems like there's this situation where the teams that are currently in it, if they don't meet minimum standards, which most of them do, they have the facility to pay a fine and then get on with it. But Bath have been to be fair to Bath, they've been trying to improve their stadium for ever since. I don't know, BC. What, what, when did you say they'd first played? Like 1882? So probably yeah. since like 1883 or something. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I mean, it's a residents. lot of controversy there about that stadium, isn't it? Because it's such a sort of into the middle of the yeah. city. It's a brilliant sort of. place, but I think everyone who's gone there, whether they're opponents or current Bath fans or players, would say the facilities are just not the same as other clubs. But there we go. I mean, that was, that was an absolutely awful result. But if you're a Gloucester fan... What an amazing day. And actually, on another statistical note, it was only the fourth time they had nilled anyone in Premiership history. So if you're Gloucester, you're happy. And if you're Bath, you're incredibly sad, I think. So, right, we take a pause now from the Premiership and they don't return until the 20th of May for the final two rounds of the regular season. And then we go into the playoffs. Top four is largely all that needs to be sorted out. But while we're pausing there, we're resuming Europe and it's the quarterfinals of the Heineken Champions Cup coming this weekend. It's kicking off with Munster against Toulouse, which is going to be played in Dublin because Ed Sheeran is playing Toman Park this week. That'd be good fun for him. Um, Leicester against Leinster on Saturday evening, which could be an absolute belter. Um, La Rochelle-Montpellier is the all-French tie. And then in Paris on Sunday, Racing 92 are hosting Sale. And on that note... We are talking to Alex Sanderson, director of rugby at Sale Sharks, who's taken them into their second quarter final in the last two years. So an unbelievable achievement for them. Let's see what he has to say about their challenge in the Champions Cup. So hi, Alex. Massive week for you guys at Sale. How are you feeling? How are the bodies? You had that decent result against Newcastle on the weekend. Are you all right? It's Monday of a quarter final week. Must be pretty exciting, right? Thank you for asking, Will. It's very rare do I get uh, asked how am I feeling on a Monday morning, but uh, well, Monday afternoon. I, I, I'm feeling, I, I would say, like everyone in, in the organisation, like a nervous excitement, which is as to be expected in it in a quarter final. It's only the third time we've reached this stage in the comp. Um, and we've come on the back of a, of not a great performance, but a performance where we, we got. The win, we got five tries. We got a lot of rotation through the squad. Uh, a lot, a lot of guys got game time. We haven't had game time, and we've had minimal injuries, if any. So we, we enter into this week as strong as we've been all season in terms of selection, and as as buoyant, I reckon, as we've been all season in terms of our motivation. Is that the kind of nirvana for a director of rugby that you get into these massive games, and you've basically got the the, the best team or the best group you can possibly pick from? Yeah, there, and there is some luck in that. Yeah. I'd like to think it's all about periodisation and rotation <laughs> and loading, but it's just there is a bit of luck in it. There's some of the players who we would have liked to have more time and like to have, yeah, just been maybe in better form for their own confidence, but you can't have everything, as I say. So we're very grateful for the position we're in in terms of injuries. So just to note that off, 
Tom Curry was back on the bench on the weekend. He's yeah. fully fine, fit to go, cracking on. Yeah, he gave himself a 10 out of 10 for motivation this morning. Good, so, okay. So, so he's he's flying. AJ McGinty, he wasn't included last week, is is looking good and, and training well and we'll take it day by day. Manuel Tualangi is super motivated and obviously fresh, as is Lou Diego, Cuny Oosterhausen. Uh, and John Ross, our, our captain. So we, like I say, we're um, at the moment. It's all looking good. Perfect. So just thinking about the week itself, how do you kind of you've had experience of this from the Saracens' perspective of getting into these massive weeks? How do you pitch it so that it's Monday now as we're recording that you don't play the game until Sunday afternoon? How do you pitch it? How do you kind of manage that? How do you manage your own excitement and own trepidation for it all? How have you used those experiences you've had before in weeks like this? Yeah, well, firstly, it's different from where I've been. You know, like I said, I'm, not, I'm not mentioning the S word again. I've said it enough. But uh, this is a different group, so you can't just package or bottle something that you've, you've experienced, for the most part, in the past, and use it with a different group of people, because by the very nature... Uh, of a team it's made up of individuals and we're not mind readers what you can understand is, as you've said is how you can build through the week to make sure that come Thursday Friday they're in the best place possible in priming themselves um, for what is a near international match the fact that it's a quarter final there's always a lot of more white noise surrounding the players there's, there's the opportunity for distraction to to, uh, to affect your performance, to perfect your attention, I guess, on the day. So there's quite a few things that we've got in place to, to help us stay on track as to the type of mentality we need and the game that we're looking to, to implement. Um, and we've got Andy McCann coming in as well tomorrow. I've mentioned him in the past. Mm. He's a neuropsychologist of, of some repute and he's coming in to help us again this week. Nice. So I'm trying to think, I, I think you probably have been to the La Défense Arena before, have you, with Saracens? Uh, have, it's yeah. a hell of a play. It's almost like a nightclub, isn't it? Or an IMAX cinema or something. Is that part of those conversations of dealing with a different setup, a different stadium, a weird atmosphere that people might not have experienced before? Yeah, absolutely. You hit the nail on the head there. So not just increasing your awareness as to what could happen, uh, but there's things, you know, so we're going to go and visit the stadium. We're staying in the stadium, visit the ground. You're actually staying in the stadium, are you? Yeah, they've got a hotel there. Okay, so nice. We've got granted access the day before for an hour, which is important for us to be able to take it in and and understand what it feels like. But also, you know, making them aware that there's a 50 by 70 metre screen mm. on one side of the stadium. Uh, you know, and, and human beings being not too far removed from the cheddar man that was discovered <laughs> the cheddar gorge like looking at themselves yeah yeah so in any break in play there's going to be a picture of one of us probably one of them up on the big screen and it's been able to to maintain that focus on on what your next job is so that's a big part of it how have you have you tried to replicate that because i know from england days going to wales they try and play things like hymns and arias in the week to try and get themselves used to that mad atmosphere what can you do at carrington to sort of prepare yourselves for unique things like that like you say, there's trying to employ as many distractionary techniques as you can during the week uh, and our ability to reset uh, as a group, whether it be breathing techniques or clarity of message, all, the, all these things are important. 
there's the more gimmicky things that I've done in the past and, and we'll probably do a bit of this week where you just set the meeting room up like a disco. We've got some, we've got a yeah. smoke machine here. I bought my smoke machine <laughs> about eight years ago with some lasers for a rave that I was having at the house. So <laughs> I'll bring them in and um, we've got a big, a big projector. So we'll get things flashed up on that just to try and recreate it. But it's different again on game day. Yeah. And yeah. any elite athlete or sportsman will tell you that that you can practice all you like under conditions of competitive conditions, but until you get onto the game day and the adrenaline. And all the neuroscience that takes over your body has its effect. It's very, very difficult to replicate um, in reality. Yeah. So who's the guy you have to warn most about not checking themselves out on the big screen? Is it Faf and his <laughs> unicorn locks or what, what have we got? Oh, I'm hoping that Faf sees enough of himself in the mirror <laughs> on a weekly basis not to bother with the big screen. Uh, I, I find myself, I'm, I'm bad with it myself. So it's, it's a deadly sin, isn't it, vanity? But it tends to panty me like all the wrong times and I can kind of catch myself in the corner of my eyes. So I've started just turning around, you know, like mm. the gorillas in in, uh, in Chester Zoo. <laughs> they, they, you're looking at them. So after a while, they just turn their backs. Yeah. So I'm hoping that my, my, my very primitive way of, of not being one of filmed will help myself out with that. Yeah. Um, I, I, think, I think it'd be the young lads, yeah. to be honest. The young lads who, who haven't experienced that before, who it could be more distractionary for. So I remember talking to you, I think it was after you'd beaten Scarlet's last year in the Champions Cup, and you were talking about your themes for the weeks, which you've yeah. done throughout your career. And that one was slaying a dragon, and it linked to the tactical game plan and all that. Is there? Could you tell us, if you don't have to, if you don't want to, but could you tell us what the theme is for this week and what buttons you're pushing that are adding layers, that are the sort of that visual sort of audio thing that you push with the players? Yeah, um, I've always found, or what's been apparent, going back to the experiences that you've had and how you build these kind of weeks up, at this time of the year, when the players take hold of what they're driving, whether it be from a playing sense or a motivational sense, when they actually take hold of it themselves, that's when you get some of the best performances because that sense of empowerment allows them to problem-solve on the field themselves as opposed to getting a maybe a communication from a coach from a sideline it's, it's generally too late that communication it's always reactionary as opposed to being in the moment on the cold face which they are uh, and I'm happy to say that through some circumstance um, I'm not happy to say from the say I'm happy that they've taken control of this because it's through unfortunate circumstance that we have quite a few players leaving mm. Um, influential players, players who mean a lot to to each other, and they spoke about three or four weeks ago. And this was a driving influence be, behind that Bristol performance. They made it about they wanted to make it about respect and being able to leave their time here, not with respect because they've earned respect already, but with a laid amount of respect. Just thinking on a bit of a wider point. Um with the two English teams that's still in the Champions Cup, you guys and Leicester, is there a sense that this is really the year, if you are going to win the Champions Cup, that it needs to happen? Because we all know with the salary cap coming down, your squad's changing a bit. You've made some recruitment with guys like George Ford coming and Johnny Hill coming, Tomo Flaherty, and obviously you all hope that you can keep challenging on both fronts. But when the money's coming down, the South African teams are coming in next season, the task looks like from the outside it gets harder. So is it more pertinent almost this year to 
to nail it as much as you can because it's only going to get more difficult or is that unfair I, I just don't think you can look that far ahead mm. uh, maybe on paper you might have a point uh, I'd like to think we're going to continue to get better I'm, I'm definitely going to get better so why not these lads that we've invested in for the future there's some some real real talent there so however whatever we do this year it, 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 we're only going to be better for it next I was, just on back on the game itself I'm fascinated to know what a big game like this a quarter final match is like for guys like you the coaches who you can't influence the game on the field as much as you'd probably like to is it horrendous do you just go through the ringer on a Sunday afternoon like it's going to be on this weekend or have you have found a way of coping with it because it just must be awful going through all those emotions this team has found a way has found some kind of um, superpower in torturing me (laughs) and it's like the number of times that we've finished within a point or we've got a Simbin or even that Bristol game. So it's, it's, it's been a bit, a bit of a roller coaster. We just spoke about it as a coaching group just before we came up here though as well, how we feel this week and how that could transfer because it does transfer, you know, it, it ebbs down. We play our game, metaphorically speaking, at the start of the week, you know, we've we got to prep them as best we can Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. There's all that want and desire for us to prep them as best we can, and that sometimes that can be taken as uh, if you're overzealous or something. Or yeah, yeah, no, yeah. exactly. Even in your tone of voice. So we, we, we've already had a chat about how we're able to control our communication, control our own excitement, so they don't play the game too early. So going back to your original question, that that's part of our methodology. But we've also, on the back of that, have uh, accepted and appreciate how lucky we are. To, to be in this position and if you don't if you don't do that if you don't enjoy it if you don't revel in the stress <laughs> if you don't then why are we doing it the, the week can pass you by the game can pass you by so quickly and it's only afterwards you can look back and you think well I wasn't really myself there mm. you get caught up in in the white noise of it all so we've also had a chat to ourselves about enjoying this week and trying to be ourselves as much as we can because that's what's got us here yeah yeah you said you weren't going to mention the, the other S words too much this t- t- um, in this conversation, but is there a lesson that you've learnt yourself from all those quarterfinals, semifinals, finals, where you might have got it wrong emotionally with the team or anything that you've really learnt from? And yeah, said, last, I'm not going to do that again. Yeah, last year, I would say last yeah. year, half-time, La Rochelle, quarterfinals, this game last year, where we're, we're well in it, we're well in it right, and I think we probably surprised ourselves about how competitive we were and the fact that we could do this, we could bring it home. And that goes the same for the away fixture at Exeter when we were looking to bring them back for our semis and with three tries up. We're almost thinking that not we've done the job, but getting ahead of ourselves in terms of the outcome. And as a result, you, you, miss, you miss what's right in front of your face. You miss that declaringly obvious threat that's right in front of your face or opportunity. So I think this year, the emotion's going to be there. We'll stick more to process. Obviously, mm. we'll take it on the day as to what's needed, but as a rule of thumb, we'll stick more to, to the process uh, and the purpose and not just the emotion of, of, of how we get it. Yeah. I was looking, um, as you mentioned at the top of this chat, that this is the third quarterfinal that Sale have gone into, your second, and they've always been in France. So that one in 2006 was in Biarritz. Obviously, last year was in La Rochelle. Is it, what's the unique stuff about going to France then? 
That's where we're seated, isn't it? Yeah. I don't mind a road trip. I mean, that's why you're in Europe, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You, you want to get some of the more glamorous spots because it, it makes it feel a bit more special and there's no more glamorous than, than Paris, is there, in this um, Stade de la Défense or whatever it's called. Mm. The disco. Let's call it the Racing Mist. That's in Metro Disco. Um, <laughs> we've got our chefs in the back there and we theme meals up sometimes as well just to give us a taste, okay. a literal taste. So Cote de Boeuf or what are we having this week? Oh, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking more pan au chocolat. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we'll go for Cote de Boeuf and see if they cut that up. Yeah. Later. So thinking about the, um, the actual rugby side of it, um, looking from the outside, I mean, French teams, big packs, Racing have got a bit of a boy band backline, don't they, with guys like Machineau, Russell, Chavancy, Fiku, Thomas, Imhoff. Where are you looking at ways you can get into them? And is it is it that 9-10 axis? Is it someone like Finn Russell who has been, he can be put off his game? It has happened before. We have to deny Russell the ball, the speed of ball and the opportunities that only he can create something out of doesn't need a full gap does he just needs half a gap mm. off pretty quick ball and these guys generate the quickest ball in the top 14 so then then there's that back line you talked about you know you give them free runs in the backs you give them soft inside shoulders they'll cut you up as they did start a couple of weeks ago because they're all super quick and, and, and talented but let's not dismiss the ginormous forward pack they've got <laughs> the behemoths up front the only way you beat you beat French teams, in my experience, of this calibre is, is through collective effort, collective physicality and all those things I mentioned before in terms of your ability to inspire each other and continue to inspire each other, despite the lightning bolts that they're going to throw you away. But I think we're capable of it. I think teams like Arasin, given our strengths, we're well suited for it. What would it mean as well to you personally and the team your project, Sale have never made a semi-final of the top European Cup before. Um, you've been new waters in that front. Yeah. What would that mean to you guys to do it? I got asked the same question uh, last week, and this time last year, you've got me projecting already. This is this is what <laughs> I was talking about. Like this is what you're asking me to do is look at the big screen or fantasize about an outcome. I'm not going there, Will, because we've all we've, not to say we're done and we're not done. By no stretch will be done, but neither is the semi-final done, is it? Because yeah. that's the worst time to go out. What we have been able to achieve is turn a corner through adversity this season, get some more inconsistency, and even though people may be leaving and some staying on, understand what part of being this team means for us. And we did that around Christmas time with people writing us off, people saying that we didn't have a chance to get to playoffs, and we probably don't now, but we gave ourselves a chance when... We were around about 10th in the league. That coming together, that understanding of what's important for us as a group is is why you coach for me, it's why you play. And having found that, having found it and got it, and we do have it now, I believe, Sunday's another opportunity to prove it. So um, regardless of the result, I'm happy with where we're at as a group. Well, that sounds like a good note to end it off. Could I get you on the other ones? Where do you think yeah. they're going to go? Leicester Leinster seems like a belter, doesn't it? Tasty, isn't it? Really tasty, that. Leinster, you know, forever been this kind of informed team, haven't they? And they are, they're like, they're playing mega rugby. It's the Irish pack, in it, mm. basically. Um, and they've been sort of melding their team for this particular game, haven't they? Because they sent the 
largely the second team down to South Africa and the URC, didn't they? So they've had that real period to focus solely on Leicester, whereas Leicester have had to be playing in the league and all that, haven't they? They have, and Leicester have rotated a little bit, haven't they? And yeah, Leicester, yeah. Like we were last week, you're focusing on the game, but you've always got one one eye on the quarter-final. Teams have had success in the past against Leicester at this latter stage in, in the tournament is through the set-piece. Mm. Um, not saying they're weak there by any stretch, but you can get to them, and there's no better team than Leicester to do that. Let's face it. And where Leinster have been far and away the best attacking team, we know Leicester are well, the best defensive team, I think, in the Prem, aren't they, right now? Mm. I think that's yeah. stats indicate. Them and Saris, yeah. Yeah, Kev Sinfield's done a great job there. They all want to tackle and want to get off the line. So there's, like, like maybe with our position with Racing, there's certain strengths that Leicester possess which could trouble Leinster. Mm. But you've got to go out and win those kind of games, haven't you? They're not going to, Leinster aren't a team that are going to open the door for you. Like, you have to kick it through. Yeah. Um, and I hope they do. I hope, I hope Leicester do, because they're having a good season so far and it's a bit crime if they didn't finish strong. Well, there you go. Two English teams trying to kick the door down against fancy opposition. Real best of luck to you guys, Alex. Um, and really appreciate you coming on the ruck. And, yeah, good luck for Paris and hope we see you in the semi-final. Top man, Will. Thanks, mate. So yeah, big weekend then for Sale Sharks and Leicester Tigers, the English teams in the quarterfinals of the European Champions Cup. And on a slight tangent, we don't quite know yet what the format of next year's Champions Cup is going to be, but we do know that as of the same as this year, eight teams from the Premiership, United Rugby Championship and top four team will qualify for it. And Sarah, a couple of the URC teams have confirm their qualification for that haven't they yeah well we know that there'll be um some south african teams in it for the next year so the bulls the sharks and the stormers have all booked their place in the top eight of the um united rugby championship i keep wanting to call it ultimate rugby championship just in my head <laughs> UFC. um but yeah it's just it'll be really interesting to see over the, they've only got one round of games next because they have quarterfinals rather than semis but you know we could end up with some quarterfinals in south africa leinster have also booked guaranteed top spot in the URC so if they win all their remaining games and make it to the final they would host the final they'd probably move it to the Aviva but as usual with them I mean they book even though they've lost their last two games they sent sort of a second string to South Africa so they could prepare for this big Leicester game this weekend so to pick up enough losing bonus points to guarantee top spot just shows how strong they are yeah South African teams in the Champions Cup I think is necessitates a long stint in Cape Town about this time next year, big deep dives in rugby world in the Times of Sunday time. I think we all need to be there for quite a while to really take the temperature of South African rugby. Good pitch there to the boss as yeah. well. Good pitch. Noted, noted. Um, right, so it's God, Goddess, Devil of the Week time. Probably not going for a devil this time because there's been plenty of good rugby around. Mockers, where are we going for your God, Goddess nomination? Okay, so there's a couple of people I want to mention before I get to my goddess. Firstly, Portia Woodman. The Women's World 7 Series took place in Langford, Canada this weekend and the Black Ferns were finally back on it. They were allowed to travel and Portia Woodman scored a 200th World Series try. It's a sort of record Chris Ashton would like. But there's a great video on um, the Black Ferns Twitter feed of the all her teammates um, 
performing the Hackafora after mm. she reached the milestone. So I'd encourage anyone to look that up. I also wanted to give a shout out to Lewis Deacon because if you, if anybody remembers last year's Six, Women's Six Nations final, France really dominated England up front. Like they really struggled at the scrum and the gains they've made since he came in last summer to sort of really dominate like both the Black Ferns throughout the Six Nations against France, both in the scrum and the line out really show he's key to that. But my goddess of the week is going to Sarah Byrne. She scored two tries at the weekend. Um, they were probably more prosaic scores for her. She's usually scoring worldies, stepping people from 40 metres out. These were just from the back of a rolling mall. So that's one reason. Secondly, she's been nominated for Player of the Championship. She's had a brilliant um, campaign. But thirdly, she did an interview after the match where she just highlighted that there needs to be equal opportunities for everybody. It's not fair that you're seeing, you know, after that Ireland game last week, you had players the next day tweeting that they were back at work. And it's just, there's so much, we all applaud sort of sacrifices of amateur players and the lengths they go to to achieve these goals. But it's really not great in terms of their mental or physical well-being. And I just think that needs to be highlighted more. So well done for Sarah Byrne for shouting that out. A brilliant nomination there from Sarah. Um, I, I wanted... Well, we've mentioned Tom Youngs, who deserves a mention. Um, and we mentioned Chris Ashton, uh, who broke his record. But I think one other one that might have slipped under the radar, which is slightly less of a enormous thing that he did, but it was just an unbelievable performance from Aaron Hinckley on Friday night, who was at Gloucester, was at Exeter for a little bit, played for the England under-20s, only earlier this month was playing for Northampton in, against the Army, in the Mobs Memorial match, having dropped off the Chiefs' radar in as basically a trialist, and then he's he's still on loan. Played his first game um, for Northampton on Friday night, coming off the bench, made twenty tackles, won three turnovers, beat four defenders, and ran twenty-four meters for eleven carries. So, a nomination for Aaron Hinckley there. A stats-filled nomination. Yeah, there's been a theme. <laughs> there's been a theme to this week. Well, you can see more. If, you, if you're not tired of the stats, and why would you be, then there's going to be more on that on The Times later on Monday, if you're listening to this on Monday. And if it's on Tuesday, you'll find it anywhere on The Times website, the Monday more, which I've compiled the roundup of the weekend's action. But that is our roundup of the weekend's action on The Ruck. And thank you so much to Sarah Mockford for joining us. And there's a new issue of Rugby World dropping in people's letterboxes if they subscribe, right? Yes, and it's in shops from Tuesday the 3rd of May. Perfect. It's a bit different. It's a style issue. There's some brilliant pictures of Joe Marler. It's worth, well worth picking it up. Does it rival Dupont's dressing gown, do we think? What's he wearing? He's got well, a, a tracksuit, obviously. On. Yeah, okay, one of his Sig- It's signature girl. style, Will. Signature yeah, style. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't, it's probably not as out there as the dressing gown, but I think it's quite <laughs> iconic. He's yeah. really engaged with it, so I think, yeah. It's a bit different, but there's plenty of rugby content too. We talk about playing style and stylish players and that sort of thing. That is us done for another week. Thank you so much for downloading. Like and subscribe. Tell all your friends in the pub about the stats. Goodbye. <laughs>